Hey, hello world. What is up? Welcome back to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte. And for today's episode, we're talking about fulfillment in the metaverse. Now, the metaverse, not to be confused with Spider-Man's multiverse, is so much more than just the latest in a series of buzzwords you're already tired of hearing but barely know anything about. Uh, I'll defer to the actual smart people on this podcast to give us a proper definition in just a moment, but think of it like this. As human beings have grown and evolved, so too has the ways in which we communicate. Stagnation has never really been in the cards for mankind. You know, much like we've gone from radio to black and white to color to ultra HD TVs, the internet as a gathering place has gone from plain text message boards to animated GIF riddled homepages to full HD video back to animated GIFs for some reason. And now, well, now we're all kind of figuring out the next part. And a lot of the world's brightest minds and deepest pockets are betting big on the idea of the metaverse. Heck, Facebook even changed their name to Meta in hopes of convincing us this was all their idea. It wasn't, but nice try, guys. Uh, the metaverse is essentially a digital space where ideally, by way of some kind of VR headset, you can do a lot of the things you already do. You can go to the bank, you can see a doctor, hang out with friends. Uh, the thing is, you can also do anything. Uh, the metaverse is in no way constrained by the same laws of physics and reality imposed by the physical realm. I could fly. I could have wings. I could fly without wings. I, a lot of my ideas are centered around the whole flying thing. But trust me, there's a lot more going on. And so, understandably, a lot of people are very excited about it. But like any major leap in technology, there are tons of questions, not just practical, but also ethical and philosophical. If we're truly being presented with an opportunity to create a whole new world, how do we learn from our past and avoid the pitfalls of modern society? How do we ensure equity and diversity from day one instead of waiting a couple of generations to play catch up? With this new world will undoubtedly come a host of new rules. Well, who gets to set those rules? And in a pandemic-stricken world of increasing isolation, depression, and mental health awareness, is there relief and fulfillment to be found in the metaverse, or is it just another distraction? It's not all doom and gloom. Remember the whole flying thing I just said a second ago? That's still on the table. I'm just saying there's a lot to dive into here, and thankfully... We've got a couple of people far more intelligent than I to help unpack some of this. Uh, as per usual, my co-host and the literal brains behind this whole operation, Dr. Alan Cowan is here. Alan, I'm excited for this one. How are you doing today, man? You doing all right? Doing great, yeah. So, <laughs> excited for this one as well. Awesome, awesome. Joining us on the show, man, what a cool guest. Uh, he is one of the original tech nomads who has spent his career traveling to and living in every major technological market in the world. He co-founded one of the world's leading wireless power companies, Power by Proxy, which was so good, Apple bought them in 2017. He launched Bell South New Zealand, was managing director for Microsoft New Zealand. He was inducted into the New Zealand High Tech Hall of Fame in 2019. How cool is that? And is the co-founder and chief business officer at Soul Machines, whose digital people and human OS platform makes it possible to deliver the goodness of human and machine collaboration, providing a safe, engaging, and powerful experience. They've also, and this is true, made a digital clone of will i am uh please welcome to the show the great greg cross is here greg how are you doing sir thank you so much for being here man good thank you that's quite the introduction very humbled by it very embarrassed but um yeah <laughs> lovely to be here um loved your introduction i mean thank you, sir. all, all these questions about metaverse uh you know uh, i'd have to say you know 
and I'm not the smartest guy in the in, in the room, let alone the smartest guy on the planet. But um, all of these questions are great questions, and you know, I think a lot of them we're going to figure out as we go. Um, in all reality, but um, um, you know, and and you know, at the end of the day, as humans, you know, we live in an imperfect world, and you know, I suspect, you know, the internet's an imperfect world, and I suspect the metaverse will also be equally imperfect. So, um, yep. but look, you know, it, it is a, a great adventure. Um, it is a, 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 a going to be an amazing path of discovery. I appreciate your response. And in regards to being the smartest in the room, I know I wrote all of what I said down. So I set the bar pretty low. Don't worry. You're going to be just fine on the podcast today. Uh, but I'm excited to, to hear your perspective and get deeper into some of the things you just said, man. Let's let's get into it. Uh, you know, I shared my interpretation, guys, of the metaverse. I'm curious to hear uh, from some people, some experts entrenched not only in the development, but the ideation of, of what the metaverse is and can be. So let's start with the simplest of questions in broad strokes. What technically is the metaverse, and what do you see as its greatest potential? Yeah. Uh, when well, yeah, great. Let's start with you. Let's start with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you first. Well, I mean, I'm a simple guy, so um, I have the simple concept of the metaverse. You know, I mean, internet is a 2D digital world. Mm -hmm. The metaverse is a 3D digital world. Uh, that's go. how. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I like to think about it, um, you know, and, and the way in which I think most people will be able to relate, you know, will be able to relate to it. Um, yeah. And I think if we think of that in that context, I think there's some really interesting opportunities for us to go back a few years and think about the way in which the internet evolved. Um, you know, you know, a, a few of us are old enough to remember the dot-com crash. Um, um, you know, and, and some of the things that didn't work, you know, mm -hmm. in the first generation of the internet. So I think there's, um, um, you know, some really important, not so, you know, you know, not so old lessons that we should really be putting front and center on the table when we, we think about what happens next as it relates to the metaverse. But yeah, the 2D yeah. version versus the 3D version is how I think about it. For sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm excited to talk about some of those potential lessons uh, that we can learn from. Alan, what about you, sir? Does that does that jive in your head and how you perceive the metaverse? And I also love uh, to know what you think the greatest potential is. Completely resonates. I don't think there's any solid definition. I would yeah. agree that most applications have to do with forming a 3D world. It's an internet you step into. I would say you can get a little bit more abstract too. You can think about it as not just a visual space, but an auditory space or an information space that actually exists as its own world where there's some degree of object permanence, where you have a separate potentially identity or an identity that's representative of yourself, but carries over across different applications. Um, you can enter the metaverse even if you are if you don't have sight, <laughs> if you're blind, if you're deaf. You know, it, it's not necessarily just a sensory world. It's also a, a sort of an interactive representation of a separate world. Um, you just said something that I never really considered. This comes from my place of privilege as someone with sight. I never thought of uh, up until this very moment, the uh, how much of this is visually based, how much I've read about and interpreted as visually based. And I, I, I know nothing of what the metaverse may be like for someone who's visually impaired. That may be an entirely separate episode, but man, what a concept. I just uh, never thought of that. That's, that's something. Um, 
we've we've established kind of the best we can what the metaverse is. Alan, let's let's tackle now quickly so then we can start building out from here the idea of fulfillment. That's a bit abstract to say fulfillment is, is the concept of fulfillment. What are some of the emotions associated with the idea of being fulfilled of fulfillment? What are some of the things known to bring fulfillment to us? You're kind of my expert on that sort of stuff. Totally. I mean, the, the thing that people get wrong about fulfillment is that it's just happiness, just always feeling some specific emotion, or even that there's like a holy grail measurement of it. It's a lot of different things. It's a comfort, it's health, it's a wide variety of positive emotions. Sometimes it's negative emotions. You kind of mm. find it fulfilling to feel horror in response to a horror movie. We talked a lot about that last season. Mm. Um, and so it's really feeling uh, the right emotions at the right time. And the tools for fulfillment existed before any technology existed. You know, we're biologically very similar to we were when we were cavemen, almost identical. And all of the things that were fulfilling when we were cavemen are still fulfilling today, including meeting basic needs, eating, sleeping, procreating, and so forth, um, living a, a life that you feel is productive to society, um, living a life that you feel... Uh, you can reflect on as, as having progress, as having a story, as having a narrative. All of these things are really important, uh, but it does come down to emotions. I would agree mm -hmm. that uh, fulfillment is when you reflect on your life, a feeling of satisfaction, and it's the, the feeling of good emotions happening as you're experiencing your life. Interesting. Okay. So let's, let's, let's dig deeper on this emotions thing for a second, because if I said it once, I'll say it a million times. This is a podcast about emotions. Greg, what, what do you think is the role emotions play in the work that you guys do over at Soul Machines? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, this, this is really what drives us very, very much as a company. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we, we, we create digital characters, we animate them, we autonomously animate them and, and bring them to life in the same way that, you know, we, you know, we are being animated in this conversation. You know, we're animated by our brain. Our digital people are animated by a, a model of that. You know, we call it a digital brain. But it's all been driven from the concept of how do we create emotional connections? Hmm. Um, because emotional connections is, you know, at, at its most fundamental level, what drives, the, you know, the biological response of us as human beings. You know, I mean, you know, we need each other. Um, we need that emotional connection in order to survive, literally, in order to survive. So, um, you know, what we think about this in this era that we're moving in, and if we create, um, you know, as we create the metaverse, we create these digital worlds, it's about how do we um, deliver those connections yeah. in a different way? I mean, the simple reality is machines, you know, all types of machines are becoming already have become a huge part of our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and, and, and I guess the fundamental philosophy that drove, you know, drives me and, and my co-founder, Dr. Mark Sager, is you know, how do we make those machines more relatable to hmm. people? How do we make them more useful, more, more helpful you know, um, to us in day-to-day in -day life? And when we sort of imagine this world of, you know, this future state, this future world of human and machine cooperation, and yeah. collaboration. So, you know, that emotional connection is, you know, is you know, pretty fundamental to what we do. You know, you know, even even today with the work we're doing in the in the two in the internet, you know, for our for for, for, the, for the brands that we create a digital workforce for today. 
I love um, talking about coming from a place of how do we create that connection? How do we strengthen that connection? I'm curious if you can uh, reveal or talk about what you guys have identified as some of the cornerstones uh, of of making that happen. You know, is it a matter of making the character more realistic? Is, is the uncanny mm-hmm. valley something you're coming up against and having to work towards to eliminate that? Is it not about the aesthetic? Is it more about the inflection? What What are some of the most important parts you guys have identified that you're tackling in terms of answering how do we forge an emotional connection? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, um, so, yeah, I mean, I've already mentioned Mark, my co-founder. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark mm-hmm. came out of the movie industry. So Mark's mm-hmm. an academic researcher. Um, he did, did amazing, amazing postdoc work. He then went on to have an incredible career in the movie industry, you know, really um, taking his academic research on, you know, on modeling the human face and figuring out how to create technology um, which enables us to animate CGI characters in an incredibly human-like way. So the cues for what we do and the cues that we can extend into this future that we're part of the creation of is this um, ability for our, the digital characters we imagine and we create to be able to express human emotion. And, and Mark one technical Oscars for his work on the movie Avatar, you know, King Kong, Spider-Man 2. I mean, we started this conversation with Spider-Man 2. So, yeah, there's always a connection. Um, you know, and, and so if you think back to those really strange blue creatures in the movie Avatar, you know, and, and, and the story that, you know, um, everybody associated with that movie told, I mean, we fell in love with those characters. We connected with them because... They expressed emotion in a human-like way, not because they look like humans, but they expressed emotion in a human-like way. So that's that's one of the things that drives us as an organisation. You know, highest quality CGI, you know, the highest quality animation. I mean, we see these as fundamental to human connection. Um, you know, a big question we will still have to answer. You will. You know, caricatures, the emoji style caricatures, you know, that, you know, we've seen so many of, you know, do they, are they actually capable of being anything more than curiosities and playthings for it? Will we really form meaningful correct connections? Because there's a big difference, you know, if you think of, you know, if if I draw, continue to draw parallels from the movie industry, yeah, there's a big difference even between, you know, the CGI, you know, the caricatures of which you see in the metaverse and, and, and app stores today and the quality of the CGI work that, you know, Pixar pioneered with Toy Story. Once again, you know, these were CGI characters that expressed, you know, Woody. You know, yeah. we fell in love with Woody, the hapless Woody, because he expressed emotion in an incredibly human-like way. So these are, you know, these are some of the fundamental platforms that we think about. Hmm. It's fascinating. One of the things I, as I'm listening and, and I'm thinking about the, the, the next thing that comes to mind is like, okay, let's assume for a second that we've done it. We've achieved the pinnacle CGI, the pinnacle animation. We can perfectly recreate human emotion and, and we, we've established that. Great. But I personally, as a human, sometimes don't know the appropriate remote emotion to, to have in response to something, right? So how do we then create an AI that knows the best emotion for that moment. And Alan, I, I got to turn to you for this one. How do we know the best response in the, in the scenario? And how do we kind of train a machine to understand a concept I'm barely grasping as a, a mid-30s human? 
Yeah, I mean, so there's two answers. One is we can do what humans do. I mean, humans are really good at establishing connection, establishing empathy, responding to each other in a way that acknowledges that you hear what somebody is intending to say, what their inflection of their voice really meant to understand someone's pain. You can respond to it appropriately. Um, the other answer is how do we diverge from that? When is it appropriate to say, you know, a machine should really be in service to us and a human has their own needs? We don't want people to care about machines as if they're conscious beings that have their own needs. We want machines to care for our needs. Um, so there's a big element of optimizing for people's well-being. A lot of this is picking up on nonverbal cues, facial expression, the voice that exists when we're talking that probably represent about half of what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that those cues aren't understood, it feels like a really kludgy interaction. It doesn't feel like you're being understood. It doesn't feel like your needs are being met or that you can proceed conversationally. So we really need these conversational agents and avatars to be able to understand us in order to respond appropriately and to be optimized for our positive experiences. Interesting. I'm, I'm reminded a bit of um, when we were talking to... All right. So last week on the show, uh, we had uh, the CEO and, and founder of Embodied. And Greg, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with Embodied and their robot companion, Moxie, at all. Uh, this is a really cool thing. And for the listeners that, that don't know, uh, Moxie is this uh, little companion robot, Embodied, amazing company. And, and Moxie has all these different sensors, cameras, microphones. It can know where it is in space. It can identify uh, a voice above the noise, all these different things, constantly absorbing all this data. Engaging your general vibe and trying to respond accordingly, right? And to my tiny brain, the only way that's going to work is either A, you plan for and program a response for every possible outcome, which I believe is impossible, or B, you give your AI like a ton of data and you teach it to then compare what it's observing to that data so it can then make the best decision based on the information provided. So that then begs the question, how important is that data set to what we're talking about? And how does one ensure that the data is unbiased and, and is an accurate representation of not just one culture, uh, but, but, but all of humankind? Mm -hmm. How does all that work? That's a big question, but I'm only going to give you 30 seconds to answer. Go. 30 seconds. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take all the time you need. We take a different approach. You know, as, as a company, we take a different approach. So our, ours is not driven by data, you know, or, or training the AI to respond based on big data. I mean, you know, so what we're, the field of AI that we've become the world's expert researchers and deep tech researchers in cognitive modeling. So simulating, okay. you know, the way in which the human brain actually works. So, you know, if I smile at you guys, big cheesy smile, there we go, you know, smiling back. You know, that's a natural reaction of a human brain. You know, a human okay. brain sees a smile, you know, it's, you know, picked up by our eyes, our sensory system, signals go to our limbic system, you know, this is a neuro neuroscience theory, you know, dopamine, serotonin gets secreted, they send, you know, electrical pulses to muscles, we smile back. Um, that's, you know, and so we, you know, our approach to, you know, animation, you know, mm -hmm. and creating this human-like connection is modeling you know, aspects of what we know about the human brain. So we're taking a different approach. Now, we're not trying to model every human emotion or, you know, or every, you know, have, you know, recreate a, uh, you know, everything a human can do. I mean, you know, our digital people are a workforce. So when you work, you know, as, a, as an employee, you know, if we, we work for a big company, 
we have a part of our life where we are performing a specific role. And as part of that role, we use parts of our personality, you know, parts of our emotional response system. You know, it's not appropriate for us to get angry um, at, at work, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so when we're creating a digital brand representative, we're creating, you know, a part, you know, a, a digital person that's responsible for a very, very specific role um, in life. Um, you know, if, if we're creating a digital twin of Will I Am, you know, when we're not talk creating Will I Am to be a replica of Will, you know, yeah. Will somebody his fans can ask him about his music career. If they if they want to ask him about something that has you know nothing to do with his music career, you know, um, that's not part of what what he's designed to do. So, you know, these are some of the ways in which you know we think about. You know the the, the, pro, the challenges that you have. So I mean, when we you know, so the, the, these are you know, th- this is the way we go about bringing these digital people life. And the last thing I'll just add here, you know, one of the things we've discovered is there are many applications where we as human beings, you know, prefer to speak to a digital person <laughs> because a digital person in so many different applications is missing one thing that we quite often like, which is judgment. Hmm. You know, you know, you know we, we do a lot of work with big banks. You know, as humans, we don't like talking about money to bankers because we fear judgment. You know, you guys don't know how to, you know you don't know how to ma- manage money. You, you know, um, you, you don't know how to invest your money. I mean, people hmm. don't like that sort of judgment. Same in he- the healthcare sector, or even in the education sector. You know, imagine you know, imagine a world where you know how many of us did high school French or Spanish and don't speak it fluently in, in, in adult life. I mean, what, simple reason is the large percentage of the class stop putting their hand up and asking questions because they fear judgment. So these are all sorts of dimensions when it comes to emotional connections that you know that that we're learning as we yeah. we, we we go about what we do in, in, on a day to day basis. I'm curious what Greg, I'm curious, you mentioned banking and some other applications. Um, I'm curious where you think the most exciting uses of like these digital avatars with physical forms really lie. Where are they most beneficial as opposed to you know contrasting it with just a Google Assistant or a Siri? When, when is it important to have a body and not just a voice? Hmm. Yeah, so I mean there's there's two fields we're exploring as a company. Um um, which we think are going to be really important, and ultimately, I mean, you know, becomes ubiquitous really, really quickly because you can come up with a, you know, I mean, you know, one of the things in my life is I, I can do the, you know, I mean, my imagination can go crazy, and and, and we can probably make it happen. So, um, so the two fields we're exploring is, you know, the first of those is an area we call the future of customer experience, mm-hmm. you know, and and the simple reality is we live in a more digital world today than we did two years years ago. Um, a digital world is a more transactional world. A transactional world is a world where it's really, really hard to, for big companies and big brands or, or companies and brands of any size, literally, to differentiate themselves. You know, how do you, you know, associate values when people are just saying, move this money from here to there, or, you know, you're on an e-commerce site and buying a product? Well, you know, how are you differentiating yourself? So... You know, so what we're exploring with a lot of our work at the moment is creating brand experiences in an e-commerce store, you know, um, a digital cookie coach, a digital skincare consultant, you know, a digital banking advisor, um, um, you know, a digital healthcare companion. So these are some of the things. So it, it personalizes customer and brand experiences in a way that, 
you know, we used to, we can get in the real world, you know. Um, in the real world, you know, we go into our favorite retail store and, and and why is a brand or a particular store a favorite retail store is because there's a person in that store who we see as the ultimate embodiment of that brand experience. And we can create, recreate that, attempt to recreate that in a digital world where it's available 24 by 7. It's infinitely scalable. Mm-hmm. It, um, you know, it, it, it becomes more and more personal. You know, hi, hi, Alan, great to see you again. You know, last time we were talking, you're really interested in those blue, you know, hoodies, but we didn't have any in stock. We got a bunch of new ones and now can I show you? So these are the types of, you know, ways in which we can personalize the brand experience in the future. You know, whether that's in a 2D e-commerce store on the web today or in, you know, the 3D, you know, experience store um, of, you know, it's just around the corner. Well, there's something very interesting about that. Well, first of all, it's like 10 very interesting things. But the one that I'm going to focus on right now that I just heard as we're talking about the idea of the personalization of like, oh, Alan, you really like the blue hoodies. What's funny to me is as you're describing that, I'm like, yeah, that is a really pleasant experience. But like now when I go to Amazon and it's like, hey, here's the 700 things I know you've looked at and what I think you should buy next. I find that invasive and creepy and part of it. But the idea of putting a human face on it makes it a little more palatable and like, oh, cool. This is a, they are recommending. And I wonder what that is. If maybe I've just said it right there, or you've said it yourself, it's the human face. But what is that? What is the big difference that when I go to a website that I've elected to go to, I know what I'm getting into. But when I see it, it's still this reminder of like, oh yeah, they know everything I'm doing. Versus like if a, a really personable avatar said it to me, why do I perceive those things completely differently? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like the, there are some real ethics concerns that you mentioned there, like privacy, like manipulation. You don't want people using your data in a way that doesn't benefit you. You don't want people to kind of persuade you to buy things you don't trust them. With a human, if we if we attribute empathy to somebody, we think they have our best interest in mind. We, we're not assuming that they're just trying to sell us something. We rely on the fact that people, you know, intuitively are a little bit altruistic. That they have empathy that uh, customer service assistant actually is out there to care for your needs. Um, And so that can be really good. Um, And then, you know, there are also, there's the flip side of that, which is if we think that the customer service assistant isn't actually attending to your needs and it's just projecting the idea that it is falsely, that actually, I think, becomes creepy in a way that is potentially rational. Mm -hmm. Although there's also the irrational concerns like Uncanny Valley, anthropomorphism that come out of that, that, you know, maybe don't have anything to do with the risks, even if it does really have your best interest in mind. Um, so, there, you know, there's so many different concerns there. I'm actually curious for Greg's thoughts on this. Like, how do you separate the irrational concerns from the rational concerns? And sort of how do you, how do you avoid all of those things? Or do you want to only avoid the rational ones? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, incredible complexity, you know, and, and all, of the, all of the different angles here. I mean, um, you know, um, you know, you can create this. You know, I mean, I mean, and, and you know, I, the way I like to think through these problems is the real life analogy. I mean, you know, if, you know, I mean, I love a certain brand, yet, um, you know, my best experience with you know, I can have a bad experience of that brand because you know, the retail, the, the, the shopping, um, the, the sales assistants in one store just don't relate to me or I just don't like them or they're just not interested in me. 
Um, mm. Versus I can go into another store in the real real world where you know um, where you know you meet somebody who you just established that connection with. So you know one of the you know so one of the things we think about you know I mean because you know I mean you know a bit a big company doesn't set up, set out to hire you know sales assistants that give people a bad experience, but but we know it happens. And what's a good experience for me is not a good experience for for you guys. Uh, so um, diversity becomes a big part of this world. You know, do I want to speak to somebody the same age as me, the same gender as me, the same ethnicity as me? Do I want to speak to them in this in the same language I in a language I prefer to speak? Um, you know, do I like my shopping the personality of my shopping assistants to be really friendly and um, or am I kind of more of a you know I somebody who's really professional or somebody who's just really efficient. You know, I mean, these are all preferences that become different parts of different relationships and different environments. And these are some of the things we think about. We touched on some of the data and ethics issues. So first rule of our business, you know, we're not setting out to trick you to think and to trick you into thinking you're talking to a, a real person. Hi, I'm Greg. I'm a digital person. I'm your digital sales assistant. I'm here to help you. Okay, you know, you got to be, you want to establish trust, you got to be up front. Right. The world of privacy, you know, and, you know, you know, we touched on this in terms of, you know, the era we've come from, you know, the era we've come from. Amazon, you know, has become one of the most valuable companies on the world because it can use the data we have chosen to give to it, not necessarily understanding what we were doing at the time, but you know, the data we chose, we can use that. I mean, they're leveraging that data to sell us more stuff. Now, you know, we are at an era where, as consumers, as people, we're thinking more carefully about, or starting to think about more carefully about data privacy. And and, and you know, and ultimately, you know, I go back to the you know the human relationship. You know, as human beings, when we meet somebody new, we make a decision about what do we want to share. Okay, how much do we want to share? And, and I, you know, and, and one of the things we like to think about as a, as a company and an organisation is, you know, how does that model work in in the you know in, in this in, in this next generation of the digital worlds that we're creating at that moment? Because I mean, quite clearly, there's a huge amount of focus from a consumer point of view, from a regulatory point of view, from an antitrust point of view. You know, looking at how we fundamentally re-engineer it. But, you know, we like to think about it as when you meet somebody for the first time, you make a decision about how much you're going to tell them. You know, do I trust that person? Am I going, you know, or, you know, um, you know, these are all, you know, decisions that we think about as we go. Yeah. Have you, oh, go on, Alan. Well, I just, I mean, I think you touched on this, but, you know, the idea that people's data can be used in ways that benefit them, everyone agrees with that, right? Like, you want to be able to walk in and say, like, it knows that I was looking for a blue sweater. Now it has a better one available. I can try it on. This all helps me. How do you win people's trust um, to give them, for them to feel comfortable that you are using their data and they think it's benefiting them the way that you're using it, as opposed to uh, being protective of their data and thinking that it's a privacy concern? Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, we ima- yeah, I mean, we imagine a world in the future where the decision to share data is some, some uh, something that yeah the uh, yeah the consumer our technologies and our, our digital people are interacting with you know that's a judgment that people are making as they go. I mean, if they've formed the relationship, they'll be much more open. 
um, you know, to, to share that information. Have yeah, you guys, totally. have the conversations gotten granular to the point, like you mentioned um, the idea of like, maybe you want to speak to a, a person that looks more like you, or if you're a business person, yeah, and all these different sort of preferences, have you reached a point of like, okay, do we observe and adjust automatically to meet those preferences and surprise them with somebody they're comfortable with? Or do we ask them those questions first? Like, how do you decide, uh, let's get some data and make some calls for them versus let's give them all the options and let them choose what they want? How do you straddle that line? That's got to be a difficult balancing act. Yeah, we, we look at this. I mean, ultimately, it's, I mean, these are the decisions that are you know made by our customers. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're selling to to organizations and, you know, brands and, you know, they are deciding, just like they do in the real world, they're deciding who they want yeah. to hire yep. um, to represent them, you know, either in a face-to-face or in a digital world environment. So, um, you know, many of the companies we're dealing with are, are, are actually, I mean, I call it taking an analog approach to the digital world where, you know, they're thinking about having a brand celebrity. You know, um, you know, in, in the same way that you know, you know, big brands would go out and hire a celebrity in a TV commercial because we relate to that person. We want to be attached to that person. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of our customers are approaching it in that way, but we've we've also got some really interesting projects we're doing. You know, with um, you know, in um, the American college system. You know, where we we work with guys at Maryville out. At, in St. Louis, and and they're creating digital student companions, and they, you know, I mean, and they're providing it, you know, I mean, you know, digital men, women, different ethnicities, you know, so that people can cho- you know choose their student companion and, and what they want to relate to. So, you know, we, you know, we, we, you know, we believe that you know companies just as like that, you know, that they're, they're tackling, you know, I mean, in real life, we're tackling the issues of how do we, you know, how important diversity is to the way in which. You know, we engage with our customers and consumers. You know, we can take the, all of that in, into the digital world as well. So, yeah, for sure, very, very cool. Um, I, I was thrilled that you brought up a little bit more about the Will I Am uh, digital clone because, or digital twin rather, because there was a point in that documentary that I that really stuck with me, which is where he said the exact thing you said of you don't want it to be perfect. He doesn't want it to trick or fool anyone. He doesn't want it to fool his mom kind of thing, right? And that just brings up yet another delicate balancing act because we have the technology to create convincing lifelike things. So did you guys, have? has it gone through moments where you're like, hey, that's that's too good. Let's dial it back a little bit. Has that kind of calibration taken place and you've had to find a sweet spot of like convincing and comforting, but not overselling it? It's just, it's such a tricky space to exist in. You guys are doing it very well. And I'm curious yeah. just how you arrived there. Yeah. I mean, for us, no, we, I mean, we're still, we're always trying to improve yeah. our technology yeah. and get better. I mean, you know, um, we have, so we certainly know we're, ne- we're not ne- we're not at that point at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're I mean we're we're extending new dimensions of what we do. So you know, I mean the you know the will I am implementation of our technology was a head and shoulders implementation. You know, even though from a CGI asset a CGI character point of view, Will's digital twin was a full body digital twin. So you know, we're we've now introduced technology where we're fully animating the upper body. You know, so you know. You know, when I speak, I use my hands a lot to speak. You know, I'm not Italian, but I use my hands a lot to speak. You know, um, you know, you know um, Alan talked about nonverbal communication. Um, I, you know, our digital people can now point to content. They can interact with content. They can watch you interact with content on the screen. So, so these are 
the aspects of improving, you know, our animation, you know, non-verbal communication. So, you know, I mean, you know, you know, we're, you're, you're looking at, three, you know, three new cars on the screen, a blue one, a silver one, and a red one. You know, I see you looking at the blue one. You know, would you like me to tell you about a little bit more about the blue car? Um, it's a convertible. Right. Um, you know, is that what appeals to you? So these are, you know, so that, you know, you know, I mean, we're moving, you know, for the metaverse, you know, um, it, it becomes a, an immersive experience. We can walk around, we can you know, fly around. Um, you know, so we're, you know, we're looking at how we, you know, I mean, we're working on the next iteration of, you know, bringing, you know, is how do we animate full body, you know, full bodies, yeah. you know, and, and you know, have digital people interact, you know, not just with real people, but interact with each other. Um, right. And, you know, so no. Look, we've you know, look. There's there's a huge amount of research and work and things that we continue to to think about. And and you know, if you look at any field of AI, you know, we we we're still at the very very early stages. You know, creating, uh, you know, the work that the guys at you know OpenAI and you know um, other companies are doing, and you know. You know, conversational language. Um, yeah. You know, we, you know, object recognition. You know, I mean, these are all fields which you know um, we've been talking about for a long time. But you know, these are fields that you know, and literally, are still you know very, very early in terms mm-hmm. of their, their, their productization and, and 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 how good they will get in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, There's this oh, like upfrontness and honesty about, and, and actually. Sort of bravery around creating digital people that look like people, right? Because um, on the one hand, like they're clear about the fact that they're intelligent. You can tell they're intelligent. On the other hand, because they look like people, people have this irrational tendency to anthropomorphize them. And you know, because it's a person and not a search box, suddenly there's these scenarios that arise where it might develop a conscious mind and take over the world, and it brings <laughs> up these weird. So I think it's actually really interesting as a domain for AI because it gets us asking these important questions early on um, about you know how do we want AI to be optimized, how do we want it to interact with us because of its honesty and intuitiveness that you don't get when you're just dealing with the search box. Um, so, so I definitely commend that. I also commend the idea that like you should focus on actual realistic digital people who are serious. Those are a lot of uses for those where you don't want to interact with like a cartoon or like a, you know infantile kind of avatar. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know that's the other propensity people have is that oh well if we make it look like Wally or RTD2, people will uh, be more likely to trust it, more likely less likely to see it as uncanny. But I think you're you're tackling the real issues here. So um, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say. About that. Well, no, but you raise a great point of just like if I have uh, an appointment with my medical provider, right? I don't want to receive any kind of serious heavy news from an animated unicorn or from Wally. Like I want something that reflects the gravity and the seriousness of my situation, but is also comforting in its own way. And honestly, I can't fathom something beyond a human being that I want to tell me these kinds of things. And I, that's a very important use case right there where these animated things wouldn't work out. But, sure. uh, but yeah, the, the, the inclination is to make them fun and make them cartoons at first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And look, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, you, you raise, you know, we, you know, we, we, you know, you wouldn't want to receive bad news, you know, bad medical news from a, from a digital person. But, you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, I mean, if you think about real people, you know, how do they, how do real people learn to deliver bad news to, to, to another human Great being? Great question. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. you, know, um, you know, and this is a question we got asked, um, you know, by a, by by a medical company, and and they were interested in using our digital people to train their staff as to how to, you know, empathetically um, deliver, you know, not good news to to a patient. Because, I mean, if you you know, if you if you can't help people or train people, um, people learn to do it um, on the job, um, and it might not be the best way to do it. Um, yeah. Um, so that you know, I mean, you, you know, any way you look at this, you know, there's a you know, there's a dimension. So, you know, I think the really important thing is, you know, technology doesn't. You, I mean, I don't believe we don't believe technology replaces, you know, human beings. You know, technology is there to serve us. Technology is there to make our lives better. I mean, and you know, and if you look over the course of history, you know, I mean, yes, there are evil people that have done bad things with technology or tried to do bad things with technology. But you know, by and large, you know, the majority of us are trying to, you know, look at ways to make the you know the imperfect world in which we live in a little bit better. You know, yeah. we think about the world of. You know, education and healthcare. I mean, going into COVID, we didn't have enough healthcare workers and we didn't have enough teachers in the world. Okay. Um, and both of the, those, you know, sectors have had to come to grips with the world of digital, you know, you know, in a really, really big way. Um, and, you know, over the last two years, our, you know, kids have had two years of digital education, you know, um, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, that's a, I'm, I'm certainly not sitting here that that's saying a good thing. You know, the ability to sit around in a classroom with kids, but you know, we have had to figure out new ways to solve you know problems which have only got bigger in, in in the world that we 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 have today. So, I mean, these are some of the things that you know, really fascinate us in terms yeah. of what happens next. For sure, for sure. There's I, I never thought of that of 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 the digital humans sort of teaching actual humans how to be more empathetic. You know, how many times you talk about a doctor, but they don't have any bedside manner. It's like, what an uh, interesting way to rectify that as opposed to just sending them out there to, to be terrible for like 20, 20 plus months to pe actual people and then finally have an aha moment. It's like, no, we can do that over here without harming anyone and you can learn to be better at what you do. It's a crazy use case I hadn't considered. Um, let's go back to Metaverse. Let's tie back into Metaverse for a second. I recently watched uh, a Wall Street Journal video uh, reporter there over there, Joanna Stern. She purposely set, purposefully spent 24 hours in the metaverse. So she went to a hotel, locked down, put the headset on. She played games. She went to meetings for work. She ate breakfast at Machu Picchu, and she came out on the other side with a headache, but surprisingly optimistic. Uh, in light of the pandemic, I, I can see people eager to get away indefinitely and escape into something like a metaverse. I'm curious to hear what what do we think is the ideal amount of time one should spend in a metaverse or in the metaverse rather? How long is too long? What do we think? Alan, what do you think? Let's start over with you, man. What, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it really depends on what the alternative is. Uh, like if, if your alternative is where you're going to spend time on TikTok and you're actually having a more immersive experience in the metaverse and developing better social connections, then clearly that's better, right? On yeah. the other hand, I do think there's a limit where you kind of want people interacting with people in real life. There's certain things that are possible in real life that will never be possible with the metaverse or probably not for a very long time, like real physical contact, tactile contact with people um, that are really important for our well-being that have like a chemical effect on us. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, if you're replacing something that would just be text or just be, uh, you know, even just a Zoom or video 
with a more immersive interaction, that could have a good chemical effect on people. Um, and so there's trade-offs. Of course, like metaverse could become so addictive that you spend too much time on there. And that's, right. I think, what we want to avoid. It, and, and TikTok and, you know, you know, social media and all everything has the same problem where, you know, right. it could become so uh, incredibly uh, habit-forming that it becomes negative, even if it provides many benefits as well. And of course, we want to avoid that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, it's interesting. There does seem to be a wave... But every new exciting technology we have, there is that period of time, however long it stretches of uh, as a society, it's the new thing where like everyone's addicted to this thing. We have to solve for this problem. Children are addicted to the new thing. And then eventually it just kind of becomes part of the fabric of our culture. Nobody. And yes, people still get addicted to it, but it's not uh, the main headline anymore. Uh, but something that you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking about what brings us fulfillment and you're talking now about the chemical reactions and I'm thinking connecting a line to something um, the, Joanna had said in her video that her meetings that she took in metaverse actually felt better than her zoom meetings. Like she felt more engaged. She felt almost a personal connection, even though nobody had legs. Um, she was still able to look around the room and it felt more like an actual meeting. And I'm wondering how important, you know, replicating these real world experiences in the metaverse is like, it's the first step to acclimating us right before we start to play around with ways th that we haven't even like in fantastical manners, the gift of flight and all this sort of stuff. I think before we get people there, we have to sort of recreate these mundane things, right? Is that part of it? Is that important? Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what's imagined, you know, in the metaverse is a gaming world at the moment. I mean, yeah. Um, um, I, I like to think of, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think will be big in the metaverse very quickly will be e-commerce, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, buying stuff, you know. I mean, you know, and I'm taking my cues back, you know, from the internet days where the one company that emerged from the internet that, you know, and the dot-com meltdown, you know, and really really grew was Amazon, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they, you know, created a whole new way to shop and, you know, and buy. So, I mean, so I think, you know, adding incredible experiences to, you know, that shopping and buying experience, I think will be, a, you know, a really interesting way in which we'll, you know, many people will start to experience, you know, the metaverse, you know, um, in different ways, you know, and their ability to go shopping and and experience, you know, buying something in a in, in a shop and you know in a foreign country, you know, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I mean, I, these these are some of the things that you know I can imagine as being really immersive and interesting. Um, you know, e-commerce does that. You know, because to me, it, it will be driven by experience. You know, yeah. um, you know. Um, you know, um, there'll be, you know, but I mean, ultimately, it'll, you know, for me, a lot of it will be driven about the communities that, you know, people, kids, imagine mm -hmm. building, you know, you know, around these, you know, around these experiences. So, you know, you know, we, we talk about the kids growing up today being in digital people. And, you know, I mean, I saw a stat the other day, we spend over four hours a day on, on, in our, on our smartphones, um, which, you know, was kind of horrendous. But yeah. at the same time, the kids that are doing that, are actually more aware of our planet and our environment and, uh, you know, and a lot of the stuff around them. So, you know, you, you can imagine, you know, the metaverse communities forming, you know, that could have a tremendous impact on the way in which we discuss and engage and think about these things, you know, bringing us face to face with some of the, you know, terrific damage that we've done to our planet, for example, you know. You know, how many of us can it could actually you know, imagine what a sea of plastic looks like, 
you know, right. um, you know, so even so, so many different ways you could think about. For sure. Yeah, and and you got to slow walk these things out, right? It reminds me of when iOS first came out back in 07 and like the YouTube icon was modeled after an old tube television and the notes app still looked like a yellow legal pad. It's like you start off slow to get people comfortable and you and you ramp up and and and, and all these other beautiful things come from it. Um all right, we're coming in the home stretch. Let's have some fun. We did a little bit of ethics stuff. I'm going to ask a wild question here and uh let's just let's just let's just open this box up for a second. Greg, you said something uh fascinating to me in an interview, uh, I think it was in The Verge, and you had said, at some point in the future, you might be able to create a digital version of yourself or multiple versions, and they can go out and do stuff. They can make money for you. They can make money for your company. While you're doing something else, that's a whole lot more fun. And I, I love this idea. And I'm going to let's ignore the countless warnings from Twilight Zone, Star Trek, and The Simpsons. And I opt in. All right. I've got three Matt Fortes. They're out there doing my bidding. And one of them, assigned to my finances, goes rogue, unbeknownst to me, and steals, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars. In a world with autonomous AI, whose, pro- whose fault is that? Is that? Did I do that? Is it the company through which I got the digital twin? Uh, I'm just, and again, I'm not holding anybody's feet to the fire. I'm just curious what happens when says, something yeah. like this is bound to go down at some point. What have you guys thought about this? Do you think about this? Yeah, of course, of course we, you know, of course we think about it. Um, you know, and, and there are many parallels already in the world today. I mean, you know, we got people, you know, we got kids today who make, you know, who, who earn their living by trading NFTs. You know, um, you know, I mean, you know, that's one step away from having an avatar to do that for you in the metaverse, isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, I mean, they don't have a real, you know, in the context of, you know, I assume the three of us, you know, they don't have a real job in the real world. They, you know, right. the, you, you got the, you know, the, the, there's the cryptocurrency traders, or, or, or you know, even even in the, the hedge fund traders who have created algorithms that. Do all of the stuff automatically. I mean, hmm. the simple reality is, you know, um, you know, our regulatory environment doesn't even cope, you know, with the rules around that very well yeah. today. Matt, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to give you an intelligent answer where the digital man is going to going to digital Alcatraz for the rest of his life. No idea. <laughs> oh my god! But digital Alcatraz will exist. That we just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we might need. We might not need. It. <laughs> it's true, right? Well, how do you contain something like that? Anyway, that's touching yeah. on something serious, but, but it's a fun yeah. thought experiment. I mean, it helps us uh, personify and make concrete a lot of questions that are that are important even in lieu of digital people completely. Like if you have any AI uh, that's fulfilling things for you, fulfilling tasks for you, you need to be really careful about what that's optimized for so that it's good for other people too. And then there's these ethical questions about how you weigh the trade-offs of what it's doing uh, for other people versus you and who should it benefit. Um, and then there's the question of how it should be optimized for your well-being and how for other people's well-being. And all of these things apply more and more as you give AI more control points in the world. Um, and you know, digital people have more control points because they can communicate with people in a way that um, really represents yourself, represents uh, a living being, um, and that gives them more sway. Um, and you know, that's one step toward robots. Eventually, if it was a robot of you, then you'd have to worry about all of the sci-fi issues that come up in sci-fi. With the metaverse, it's interesting because it's sort of in between. It gives us a little bit of a playground to experiment with things where the risk isn't quite so high because it can't destroy 
well, unless it accesses some systems that's supposed to, it can't destroy the physical world and you can keep it away from that. Um, and so it's nice to it's nice to be able to live out these scenarios in the metaverse. I think it will actually be helpful for us. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean one one of you know it, one of the things that always fascinates me is you know, uh, you know, when we have this dialogue about, you know, these worlds of the future is yeah, and, and on one hand we're as humans, we're completely fascinated with the science fiction view of the future, which says the robots are coming and they're going to steal our jobs and they're going to rule over us and they're going to kill us. Yeah, we, you know, I mean, I mean, we go and sit in movie theaters, or we used to go and sit in movie theaters, and our, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions to watch that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Westworld. You know, we, we, you know, you know, where we go off to this world, where we go adventure world, where we have, you know, we pay to get an experience. I mean, it's it's a really good metaphor to think about the stuff. And we, you know, we are humanoid robots create a, a you know a real world experience that you know, we we pay for. It's our vacation of the the future, if you like, and 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 the and the, the humanoid robots conspire and and go rogue on us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, you know, there's the extent of human creativity in terms of how we how how we like to stimulate ourselves and think about the challenges of the future. I, I mean, it, it really is quite fascinating when you yeah. you, you you step mm-hmm. back and, and you try and and and, and draw parallels to some of the stuff. Yeah. You know, do you want to talk to you know how you know? Do you want a, a red button that blinks on the wall to talk to? You know, we have the series and the yeah, but- you know, and, and 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 the Google Homes of this you know you know you know which are the manifestations of that technology or today or do you want them to be fully embodied and and somebody you can form a relationship and and enjoy nonverbal communications with? You know, these yeah. are you know, these are some of the parallels that you know yeah. we're creating. The other thing I think about too is like. We're sitting here identifying these things and categorizing them as like, oh, the sci-fi problem, the sci-fi problem. And it's like, as the real world mirrors more and more of the science fiction world, humans have to get extra creative. Like, what's the next, what's sci-fi going to be once we did all the stuff? Now we got to think of new stuff. That's crazy. I just, it's very exciting. Um, Okay. Last question, and then we'll get out of here because I've kept you for far too long. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, here we go. Uh, we, and we've kind of talked a lot about this. It's always fun to think the next five, 10 years, how it's going to look and so on and so forth. But things evolve and change so quickly. I want to know, where do we see things going in the immediate future? What's the next five to 10 months look like? What What are some exciting mile markers that are on the immediate horizon? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this last week too, but um, what's really interesting is to think about uh, how sci-fi has portrayed the future and robots versus um, versus you know digital assistants. In, in sci-fi depictions, you have robots that are really good at interacting with reality, but nevertheless are really dumb, and that's not going to happen. Where you know the trajectory <laughs> of technology is just not going to be like that. Um, before we have uh, robots that are good at interacting with reality, we're going to have really, really, really smart digital assistants, right? And really smart digital people. Um, and that will give us some time to experiment. We're kind of fortunate that that's the case because that will give us some time to experiment with what can go right and wrong with that technology when it's being driven by an AI system that is optimized for whatever goals, hopefully your well-being. Um, but, you know, the, the it's fortunate that like, the, the digital robots will come, or sorry, the, the robots will come that are powered by that digital assistant technology and they will be smart before they, before they can even interact with the world. Um, and you know that will be probably in thirty or forty or fifty years or more. Um, but we, in five years and ten years, we might start to see some really smart, convincing digital people, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Very cool, Greg. What do you? What is the closest thing that you're most excited about? 
Uh, I mean, some of the we're almost there. The, the it's this many things that, that are exciting in, in our world at the moment. Um, yeah, we, we're look. Uh, I mean, the, the most exciting thing about the next twelve months is how much we're all going to learn about you know the, the, how quickly this is going to change the, the way in which we you know we, we can do business and interact. You know, um, you know. You know, when, when we think back, you know, the last two years, you know, have really changed our world in so many fundamental ways. We don't even understand how much change that we've had to learn how to cope with and what the impact, the longer term impacts on that will be. Mm-hmm. We'll look back on the, this two years, probably in 10 years time and, and have some quite different perspectives. Um, you know, for me, you know, um, you know, we're living in a more digital world. We're living in a more connected world. You know, so concepts like the metaverse. You know, I think the next six months, twelve months, we're just going to see an, a, a whole lot of incredible innovation as you know people think about um, you know how the the world of the you know how the digital worlds we live in today are going to you know move, migrate and create a path mm-hmm. for us to mi- more, migrate more seamlessly mm-hmm. into these. 3D and you know metaverse type experiences in the future, and, and that's kind of the, you know, for me that's kind of the fun stuff that that really works. I mean, um, you know, some of the other stuff you know we're doing, you know, you, you talked about the, the the clone of we did a you know the digital twin, we did a will I am. We have a bunch more digital celebrities coming out, and and they are really really cool projects you can head around. So yeah. That's awesome. That's very exciting. Uh, gentlemen, I am obviously I'm made of questions. I could do this for another hour, but sadly, we've just about run out of time. Greg, thank you so, so much for making the time to hang out with us today and talk about all this. It's been just a treat to have you here and and get your perspective on this on this wild new frontier. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you very much. Well, my, yeah. my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course. Of I course. That. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. Uh, thank you, of course, Alan. <laughs> Alan, thank you for taking time out of your schedule and being here, man. It's always a pleasure. And the biggest thank you of all to you, my friend, the listener or watcher, however you decided to tune in today. We're grateful all the same and and hope you decide to circle back around here in a week for another episode. Uh, If, like me, you have an infinite supply of curiosity and want to ask a question, send it on over to us at thefeelingslab at hume.ai. That's T-H-E-F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S. L-A-B at Hume, H-U-M-E dot A-I. I will personally read every last one of them. I'll answer like two of them, but I'll read all of them. So go <laughs> ahead, send them this way. Uh, anyway, farewell for now, my friends. From the Feelings Lab, I'm Matt Forte. Thanks again, everybody, and stay safe out there. <laughs>